Hello and welcome and good day to you, listener, singular intended. It's This Is Going Well, I Think, with David Cooper, and I'm David Cooper. It's This Is Going Well, I Think, the show where no one's listening, the show where no one cares, the show where every episode's the last episode. Today on the show, my friend, the hilarious, the wonderful, the talented Samantha Biddy. She is a sexual health and consent educator, but usually she just comes on the show to fuck around. Let's be honest, we're going to find out who she's smooching this fall. Now grab your oxygen tank and do not rise up to the surface too, too quickly because you'll get the bends. Let's dive in. Samantha Bartholomew Biddy. <laughs> How are you? I'm okay. Did you see I posted a Simpsons meme this morning? So it's funny that you called me Bartholomew. No, I've been avoiding social media like the plague, but I do go on it occasionally and I'm going to look right now. You know, you're my first person on my stories list. Because? Because I don't really look at stories, but you post them and I like you. So when I, and yours come in green for whatever reason. Because you're on my close friends list. I have a close friend. Oh my goodness. I'm, I'm looking. Ooh, that's a sexy one. Uh, sorry, I didn't mean that to sound creepy. No, not at all. That dress was incredible. It was extra small, which is not my size. Like my size is like extra large. So I had to like corset it in the back, but it was so snatched. Like I suffocated. And that's my ex. That's my like forever love ex. So yeah. My forever ex. I have a forever ex too. <laughs> <laughs> okay, me, I can't have an extra dollar twenty-five an hour just to meet my basic needs for survival, and then my boss is Homer covered in jewels. I like it. I like it. And gold. And gold, of course. I was thinking of the um what is it? Did you ever watch this show? Um Pretend It's a City. There it is. No. I don't know if you'd like it, but Fran Lebowitz is like the quintessential curmungeonly Jewish. She's a lesbian, but she doesn't exude lesbianness. She exudes just curmungeonly Jewish New Yorker. There's no one who's more of a New Yorker than her. Okay. She's like a writer, but she never writes. Uh, she goes on late night TV for like no reason. And people are like, what do you want to plug? And she's like, I don't know. And she's so funny. And Martin Scorsese did a show with her. Basically, he's just obsessed with her. And so he created a whole Netflix show where it's just him sitting down interviewing her, but he's barely interviewing her because he can't stop laughing. And she's not like funny, funny. She just, everything that comes out of her mouth is negative and curmungeonly. And she just, she's so funny, but she doesn't really crack a ton of jokes. I can't explain it other than that. No, I know that kind of humor. I know that kind of funny. And I think some people just have the like charisma to carry it mm -hmm. where you're like, I am just entertained by you no matter what. Or like, I'm so amused. And I, I love people with that kind of humor. I'd like to think that I have that to some extent, like my dream Netflix show is someone just interviewing me and, and laughing. Like that <laughs> sounds excellent. It does sound excellent. She, and she only does. So she hates rich people, although she has a bit of money. And I think the only reason she does these things is because she lives in a nice apartment, I think in the West village, 
uh, although it might be in the Upper West Side, which are totally different W neighborhoods. Could be Williamsburg. No, it's in Manhattan for sure. And she's just like every now and then she's like, oh, fuck, I have to pay my mortgage from my nice apartment that's just filled with books that I sit in because I hate people and like reading. Uh, so she just does things like this and she'll say openly, I'm only doing this to pay my mortgage. <laughs> and she's so funny and she hates everyone, but she especially she doesn't hate like regular rich people, you know, like seven, eight figures. I'm extremely rich, but I'm not destroying the planet because I have billions of rich people. But she hates billionaires. And she has a line where she says, nobody earns a billion dollars. They steal it. People earn 1295 waiting tables. And I just, I love that line because it really, I don't know, underscores the the, diff, the class difference between the bosses and the employees or the, the proprietors and the employees. I don't know why I went deep with this, but that's what your Simpsons meme reminded me of. Yeah, no. Um, and it's exactly that. It's like, and I've definitely seen that kind of, that sentiment reflected, like, like your billionaire boss didn't earn that you did like that kind of- exactly for them. So, yeah. Um, as usual, um, we live in hell, and and here we are, Samantha. Yes, it's good to see you. Nice to see you too. I have so much planned for this episode. Do tell. As I look at my notes, and it talks about having my first gray pubic hair. We did that last time. Okay, I have nothing planned for today. <laughs> I have a really long sheet of things I've planned for you, but I think we've gone through all of them. But I feel like when I plan things with you, we end up not doing them anyway. But now I'm feeling like I'm caught with my pants down, which as a nudist doesn't really bother me. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm i not worried about it. Um, lots has happened in my life uh since we lost okay enough about you let's talk about me no my life is boring what has happened in your life i'm let's dive deep forget sex advice not that that isn't a worthwhile pursuit i know that's a part of your career uh sexual health education advice uh consent education but when i say forget it i mean like i'm more interested in you no offense yeah no that's fine me too like i like I set out this year because 2020, 2021, 2022, like I didn't stop working. I mean, I haven't stopped working since 2015. Like it's been so grueling um, and beautiful and wonderful and all those things. And I set out at the beginning of this year and I was like, I'm going to take this year. I'm going to scale all the way back in media. I'm going to scale all the way back in content, you know, quote unquote content creation. Um, I'm just going to sit and like be creative. I'm going to heal some stuff that's been, you know, very symptomatic for me, whatever. And then it was October 4th and I was like, huh. That's today. Yes. Um, haven't done shit. I, (laughs) I've like sat quietly and I was talking about it with this, um, this, music artist last night and he was saying he's like you know we have to think about these periods of our lives as like downloading it's not that you're not observing it's not that you aren't like absorbing it's just that you're not translating that outward and um yeah so it's it's been a really interesting non-interesting year for me uh thinking that like we're almost at the end of the year uh, I thought I was going to do something completely different. I like this interesting, non-interesting time. Well, there's the one side which you have given me in the past, the permission to forgive myself for not doing enough. And then there's the, what you're saying now. I'm, I'm regurgitating it in my own way. Correct me if I'm wrong, but we can't be who we are at our, at our times of greatness without these periods of downtime. 
Absolutely. And I don't, I don't feel any, um, there's no like shame or guilt or even like longing or anything. Like I know that I'm like completely showing up to myself. Um, and like, you know, I'm still working and I'm still, you know, I still did campus tour and all of those different pieces that I always do in order to, you know, have my life have meaning. But, um, it was just interesting. Like it was just, it, like what I thought was going to happen versus what I actually needed. And, uh, yeah, no, I feel fine about it. I'm just like, huh, okay. A whole year, huh? Okay. (laughs) Yeah. I'm coming up on having lost my last job, uh, in November. So it'll be, have been a year and I've done things too. I've got this podcast. I do appearances on the radio. I, Actually did some great work at Burning Man, which got me a little press and I won't humble brag more than that. But like, essentially, I feel like I haven't done enough and I know I'm supposed to forgive myself for that. And I know I can't be who I am without periods of downtime or periods of loss or periods of feeling like an idiot. But eventually we have to stop forgiving ourselves and put the Bunsen burner under our asshole, right? I mean, eventually. Eventually, maybe. I, yes, and no, and I don't know. I've never been someone who can force my process. Like, it reveals itself to me. I have to discover it. Um, Obviously, October is when I thrive because Halloween is my season. Um, I've been having a very interesting Libra season, uh, in terms of uh, just a lot of like confusing romantic things happening. What is a Libra season? And I will try to take this seriously. Okay, so Libra is. M- wait, let me say this, Miranda. Whenever I'm like, okay, astrology's not for me, she's immediately says you're sexist. <laughs> and this isn't her line. This is a comedian's line. But she's like, the stock market is horoscopes for men. Like, you believe in bullshit that makes no sense. And you take it very seriously like it's real when it's just bullshit. Why are you shitting on people for taking uh, astrology seriously, even though it makes no sense to you? And I'm like, you know what? I don't have a defense to that. And so I've decided to stop putting on my skeptic hat when we talk horoscopes and take it seriously. So let's take this seriously. What is Libra season? Okay, so... I don't even necessarily think that people have to take it seriously. What I feel about it is that when someone is skeptical of and like diminishing of astrology, I I feel like there's such a level of arrogance to that where I'm like, okay, so different cultures throughout the entirety of the human existence of record, you know, documented human existence have looked at the sky, have looked at the planets around us and have, have crafted ways of meaning making. You know, a lot of times we think of the like Greek colonization of the sky, like the astrology, like, you know, Aries, Taurus, like all, you know, Libra, but there's, you know, there's Chinese Zodiac, there's Mayan, like there's so many interpretations of the sky to make sense of our lives and um people who had way less distractions than us sat and observed patterns and energies and shifts and so to me it's not that someone has to be like oh like i'm a taurus and this means that i'm this and i believe that down because i i I honestly think we're products of our conditioning and our environment however the arrogance of thinking that someone knows better than literal centuries of meaning making is kind of like 
chill out, dog. Like, just play along if that's what you need to do. Yeah. And like if my Chinese friend was like, I'm celebrating the Chinese year. I'm really excited about the year of the dragon or the year of the pig or the year of the whatever. I wouldn't be like, I know better than you. You know, I wouldn't shit on that. So why do I shit on astrology? I shouldn't. I don't. I haven't in a long time. For me, all kinds of belief systems for me, don't meet their burden of proof for me to accept them as true. Doesn't mean I'm telling you they're false. It's just I don't accept them as true. I'm not saying that Jesus Christ didn't die for our sins. I'm saying I need more evidence to believe something like that. Not believing something is not the same as thinking it's false. So it's like I'm just, I'm not going to weigh in on it. I won't accept it as true if new evidence comes to light. If I die and there's St. Peter's at the pearly gates, uh, St. Peter at the pearly gates, I won't be like, no, Jesus isn't real. But at that point, I'll say, okay, this has met its burden of proof. That's how I feel. So anything in that whole arena, which is all kinds of cultures and beliefs, I can think they're wonderful. I can think they're true for you and I can back the fuck off. I've taken that point of view with astrology and I feel okay about that. And I feel like I'm a bit of a shithead. And, man, and it's, it seems like it's a real like uh, atheist man thing to be like, I don't believe in astrology. And while I am an atheist, I don't want to play into that stereotype because I think that stereotype is, like you say, arrogant. Yes. And I, and you know, it's well said. And um, a man, a daddy type man who is pursuing me at the moment posted a meme yesterday that was like, speaking to men who have sex with women is like, at a certain point in a man's life, he has to decide um, whether he wants to shit on astrology or get laid. (laughs) (laughs) That's such a better way of the way Miranda put it, rather than comparing it to the stock market. Yeah, but uh, (laughs) I was like, you know, and I have a funny anecdote about that, which I don't know if I can share on radio because I actually do want to date this person. But um, I am having an interesting Libra season. Libra being the sign of, you know, balance, justice, uh, romance, feminine energy, uh, flirtation, which I, I don't always enjoy Libra because of its balance. Like for me, I'm such a, whenever something is overly pragmatic or overly diplomatic, although I am an extremely reasonable and empathetic person, it can kind of thrust me into being more decisive, even if I don't actually authentic feel, authentically feel that way. It's my lowest frequency self where I'm like, you know what? I'm going to die on this hill now because you're being too pragmatic about it. You know what I'm saying? So What's interesting is that I've had the driest year sexually and romantically that more drier than I deserve is what I should say. I'll send you some Astro Glide. <laughs> okay, first of all, I don't fuck with that lube because You're not a baby boomer. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> That's like the quintessential baby boomer lube. Drugstore lubricants get so sticky and dry. Yeah. And I just don't want that. Like, I can do better. Like, I just don't want that energy. So anyway, no, it has been, it has not been exciting. Um, With all due respect to everyone who's fucked me this year. But in the last, like, five minutes, there has been, like, an onslaught of um, sexual energy and interest and attraction. And I don't know if it's just because it's pre-cuffing season. So people are starting to panic. And they're like, you know what? This person is like soft and warm. I'm going to <laughs> try to nest in with her. Um, but yeah, two people, two different people passionately kissed me yesterday. Wow. And that, I can't remember the last time I kissed two people in a day. Like it was just like one person was someone I've 
smooched in the past and we're friendly. We're friends. We live in the same neighborhood, but we're not seeing each other actively. We ran into each other and we ended up having like a really like intense kiss and then being like, Hey, bye. And then I was at this party last night, the photo that you saw. Um, it was a launch of my like forever love X's new art project, if you, whatever you want to call it. And he was like very passionately making out with me, which we've also like agreed that we're not going to be sexual with each other, even though there's like chemistry there, but I do send him emotional support nudes. So he was kind of like, yeah, like I had to do that to like work through the tension of all of these emotional support nudes you've sent me. And I'm like, okay, I understand. But yeah, I was very passionately kissed yesterday a couple times. I am happy for you. Are you happy for you? Am I not glowing? Like, yeah, I'm happy for me. You do seem oddly in a good mood, I gotta say. Yeah, oddly. Maybe not oddly. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is odd. I'm miserable. You're absolutely correct. You are a miserable jerk. Now, uh, you know, you seem, you have a certain glow, a certain effervescence. I don't know what that word means, but I know it's a good word and I know it gets used in this uh, context, so... Do you ever feel that way? There's like these words, you have no idea what the me- you mean, but you know how to use them. So you use them, but you don't actually know what they mean. Mm-hmm. They're like a feeling. Yeah. Like I couldn't really give you the definition of effervescence, maybe sparkling, glowing. I don't know. I was actually having this conversation a little bit yesterday about daddy, like about what makes someone daddy. Okay. And it's a very confusing concept to anyone who doesn't use it or like is attracted to and people are like oh does it have to do with money does it have to do with age does it have to do with whatever and I'm like it does have to do with age a bit but daddy is kind of like an archetype it's like a new newer archetype the same way that sometimes people use like mommy I'm like I'm not I don't have that as much um even as a, a proud bisexual but daddy is like I've realized that as I'm getting older more of my friends like my guy friends are becoming daddy and I'm like oh this is nice but at the same time I'm also aging so I don't <laughs> I look in the mirror and I see my beard coming in a bit gray and I'm like I guess I'm a dad now even though my only child is my cat you don't give daddy though no like as the archetype no you give honestly like you give more baby yeah you bratty younger brother <laughs> Not bratty younger brother, just baby. Like, if I dated you, I would want to, like, take really good care of you and, like, spoil you and stuff. I do need a lot of diaper changing. Stop. Well, that depends. See what I did there? That depends. Ah, the adult diaper brand depends. No, okay, forget it. It was fine. It was a fine joke. It was a fine joke. I just don't know why you have to make everything gross. (laughs) Okay, that's anti-Semitic at best. What? Another word I have no idea what it means, propensity. I know it means like something I do often. Is that right? Mm-hmm. I think that, yeah, it's something that often, but not necessarily often as much as like um, impulsively or uh, like in a default setting way. It's like I have the yeah. same thing. Like proclivity is like more about choice, but propensity is like I can't help myself. This is, you know. See, I used to write. I have a propensity for any time I feel criticized to accuse that person, even if they are Jewish, of being an anti-Semite. So that's just the thing I do. You felt criticized when I said that you were a baby? No, you said I had to make everything gross. That was criticism. Oh, okay, 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 okay. No, I'm fine with being a baby. That's fine. Baby. Not a baby. Baby, <laughs> which is also an archetype. Got it. Got it. Um, yeah. I'm a sugar baby. Give me money, all of it. <laughs> Give me my 
All of the money. I asked you what Libra season was. Did I get that right? Yeah. What is Libra season? It's just like a period of time where the sun is in, in Libra. Right. So it starts September 20 something and ends October. So Libra is a star pattern in the sky and the sun sort of like behind it or in front of it rather. It's where, you know, like if you think about the sky as being um, chopped, you know, uh, delegated into 12 constellations, sections, something segments. And then within each segment, there is like a constellation that was like named sure. for whatever. And that the, the patterns identified when the moon would move through that that part of the sky or when Saturn would move through that part of the sky or the sun. The sun is what governs our like our sun sign. And then at the time and place we were born, where was the moon? That's our moon sign. And then it was like, where did the sun rise? Is it like, you know, all those different things. And it's like, where was Mercury? Where was Mars? Where was Jupiter? And then all the different planets govern different aspects of ourselves. So whether it governs our communication or our private selves or whatever, whatever. And so, and then all of the, Zodiac signs have personalities. So the planets and everything have personalities. The signs have personalities. And then as I was saying, the personality of Libra is, you know, like this, it's the scales of justice. It's about balance. It's about, um, again, like very flirtatious and, uh, yeah, it's romantic. Okay. Another thing back to this, people who don't buy astrology, uh, acting like they're arrogant or whatever. No one who is into astrology has ever asked me, do you believe in this stuff? And so it's like, I have had Christian friends who say, do you believe in this stuff? Let's talk about it. And then I go there and then I'm the fucking arrogant. And then I'm telling them why I don't believe it or why this individual argument that they're offering, I don't buy. And it for me, I can't accept it and doesn't meet its burden of proof and all these kinds of things. But rarely when you're talking astrology, does someone say, do you believe in this stuff? So why are you weighing in? Like why? I guess I'm talking to my old self. Like, if this conversation maybe 10 years ago, I would have been like, this is all bullshit. It's like, no one asked you. Shut the fuck up. In some sense, I'm making the argument for why people should shut up about astrology when they don't believe it. I'm, I'm trying to make that argument stronger because I, I, I feel I guess I feel guilty for how I've behaved. Not recently. This isn't a transformation I went through last month. This is like, I don't know. I, I, I fall back on what you're saying. There's a time in every man's life when he needs to decide, will he listen to and take astrology seriously, or does he not want to get laid? <laughs> mm -hmm. And I also, it's not just about astrology. I want people who don't know anything about something to shut the fuck up in general. Like, don't weigh in. If you don't know, shut the fuck up. And I know that's hard for some people. Yes. Um, but I actually do ask people before I go into whatever, whatever about astrology. I'm like, do you fuck with astrology? And some people will be like, yeah, I do. I really understand. Or they'd be like, oh, I don't really know much, but like, you know, it's fun and I'm down and, and whatever. Or they'd be like, oh, well, I don't really, um, you know, and I'm like, well, you're close minded and arrogant. So bye. I agree. I know you. I like you. We talk. We fuck with each other, if you will. That's why I'm offering these opinions. But if we just met and you were like, hey, are you into this stuff? I'd be like, no, but go ahead. What do you want to say? I'm listening. I believe that. So two men that you kissed. Yes. Two mans, two daddies. No. No. One baby. One is baby. The other is not daddy. He's just... Middle child. Maybe. <laughs> He's kind of baby too, to be honest. But um, yeah, he doesn't really have an archetype to me in my mind. Okay. Um, yeah. But the thing with him is that uh, 
I think maybe I already said this. My brain's not working. It was like, we're, we were enemies for like three years. Like we had to be like very much in opposition to each other. And now we've come kind of full circle to being, um, being able to have love for each other and support and all those different things without, um, basically if we had sex, it would complicate that in a way that's not necessarily worthwhile because he's monogamous. But enemies, there's nothing not flirtation about maintaining an enemy. Like, there's, there's nothing not sexy about maintaining an enemy for a few years. Yeah, I mean, it's derived from, like, how much we loved each other, you know? Like, I, uh, and I, I do, I, I like him better as, like, an emotional support ex than an enemy. Um, do you like smooching? Are you, you're a smoocher? You're a maker-outer? I am present day. I go through phases. For me, a real intimate makeout is like more intimate, more vulnerable than like, I don't know, oral sex. I, I, I don't know. Oh, you, you, you see that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think. And, and again, I think that kissing is one of those things that we think of or that is often thought of as, you know, juvenile or those things that you do. It's like this is like an introduction, but you don't like maintain it throughout the course of a relationship or throughout the course of like hooking up. It's like, yeah, you kiss to like indicate you know, interest or attraction, but it's not treated as the uh, very valid erotic expression um, of intimacy that it can be. And I think when I first realized that I wasn't paying attention when I was kissing sometimes, I was like, oh, this is wait, this is a waste. Like I should pay attention. I should like think about how, what the, what it feels like in my mouth and in my body and like all, and like focus, like really focus on those sensations and then be really present to it. And then, yeah, it's like a very horny thing to do and very fun. It's like painfully erotic for me at times. Like I can't, I can't do that. I can't just like sit there and make out a little bit of eye contact. Also, what do you do with your eyes? You leave them open. Do you close them? I don't know what to do with the eyes when I'm kissing. It stresses me out. I close my eyes um, for the most part. But then if you're closing your eyes and I open my eyes and I peek for a second, I'm like, oh, their eyes are closed. Why did I open mine? Maybe they saw me open mine. Uh, I don't, this, this is why kissing is too much for me. It's just, it's, it's awkward. Whereas oral sex, your head, my head's just buried down there. Boom. It's, I'm doing my own thing. You know, I'm hanging out. I don't have to worry about eye contact. I mean, eye contact is nice with that, though. <laughs> Do I sound totally off my rocker right now? <laughs> you're just looking at you're looking at me like I'm unwell as I say all this. No, I'm not. I'm just curious. I'm curious, right? And I think that's why what I love so much about investigating sex for a living is that it's so like endless because everybody has their own nuances and intrigues and things that they bring to it and the things that make them uncomfortable and the, the discomforts that they want to push through versus the discomforts that are like hard boundaries and all of that. And it's just, it's, it is really fascinating. And it's one of the things I like about being non-monogamous is like having different experiences with different people that, um, you know, and sometimes there's overlap. Sure. Like some people, you know, whatever it is, but yeah, there's some people who will like make eye contact with you when they're eating your pussy. And then there's people who just want to suffocate and <laughs> both are lovely. I'm a suffocator. You know what? Eye contact during that is easier for me. I don't know why. I guess I assume the other person's eyes should be closed. <laughs> Whereas with kissing, I don't know. But honestly, this for me is the hardest part of this job, which is when you're interviewing people, what's the right level of eye contact to make? A little easier over Zoom, I gotta say, but when I'm interviewing people in person, I often start talking about the level of eye contact in the interview, 
because it starts making me uncomfortable. Some people just glare at you while you're interviewing them, and some people won't look at you at all. And I feel like there's no universal standard for eye contact, even within a given culture. And then you start going to other cultures, other countries, and it's like, whoa, Jesus, eye contact is stressful. Very stressful. Sure. And I also, yeah, we have different interpretations of it. I think that they're, like, collectively we have a shared interpretation that eye contact is something um, that indicates, like, allure of some kind. If it's, like, if eye contact is held for too long, like, you know, quote, unquote, too long, it's, like, oh, or it's something that's, like, oh, that's, like, intense or this feels, you know, someone's, like. Stop staring. We When a kid stares at you on the subway, what does the parent say? Stop staring. Why are you staring? I mean, someone got shot in Brooklyn on the subway platform. He was standing next to his girlfriend. He died in his girlfriend's arms. It's like last week because he looked at some fucker and some and the way the conversation started after that was, what are you looking at? And the guy, I don't I think didn't back down. He's like, nothing ends up getting shot. I just mean eye contact can kill you, Samantha. Yeah, it's interesting how it can be perceived as aggression. It can be perceived as flirtation. It can be perceived as like, and then again, it's like an avoiding eye contact is also seen as like disrespectful and aggressive. Um, but I've, you know, I, I have a lot of people in my life, whether they like who have some neuro atypicality, if you will. And they've explained to me and expressed to me about eye contact and people across the like neuro spectrum have a different relationship to eye contact. And, um, you know, as someone who teaches about consent and ongoing consent, we often look at like, Oh, you know, keep pay attention to nonverbal cues like eye contact or avoiding eye contact, but it's like, that is so exclusionary to people who, um, when they're explaining something, they're like, I actually have to like look away when I'm explaining something. Cause I'm like touching a different part of my brain that is answering the question versus I'm avoiding eye contact. Like those are, those are different things. And so without communication, assuming body language means certain things is, you know, a recipe for disaster. And eye contact works so differently for, so, like you're saying, for example, sometimes Miranda's like, why are you staring at me? Or, oh, did you see that? And I'm like, no, as I'm talking right now, I am not engaging with that sense. You know, and people can relate to that. Like, for example, when you're giving a passionate explanation, people say, what did you smell in the room? And you'll say nothing. I didn't engage with that sense. I am able to sort of not engage with sight while I'm in deep thought. Or deep in pussy. <laughs> or deep in pussy. <laughs> True. Uh, the two are not entirely unrelated. And so I have periods of time during the day where that sensory input is being ignored. And Miranda doesn't have that. And so she, whenever I'm looking at, she'll be like, why are you staring at that person? I'm like, I didn't even know there was a person there, you know? Uh, or why were you staring at the cat? Did he do something weird? I'm like, I didn't know where, where's the cat? Um, and I know that we've gotten really far from the mark of kissing, but negotiating eye contact during kissing is stressful to me for these reasons. Uh, and as a result, I find it incredibly intimate, vulnerable, whatever. And oral sex for me is less so. <laughs> there we go. We crescendoed. We crescendoed with the coherency. We came back to the original point. Finally, there was something coherent in what I said. It's been about 10 years since I first started doing radio podcasting. It finally happened, Samantha. I'm so glad that I got to be a witness to it, uh, that I got to go on the journey. I am going to do like an IG poll about this now, about like what's more intimate. Yeah. Kissing or um, performing or experiencing oral sex with someone. I think the thing about eye contact when kissing. So if I have my eyes closed 
and I open them and someone else's eyes are open, it's fine for me if they have like a soft open, right? Like if your eyes are like kind of open, but it's like your lids are soft. It's only weird if someone's eyes are like wide open and they're like looking at you. That's weird to me. Yeah. But like a soft open, like a soft little like brief eye contact moment. A squint. A squint. Not No, not a squint. Just a soft, a soft lidded eye. You're stressing me out. That's sexy. That's nice. You're stressing me out. I, I can't. This is too much. This is too much. <laughs> can't deal with this. What can I do to help ground you in this? <laughs> this moment <laughs> i don't know there's nothing there's 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 nothing to be done about this <laughs> nothing i'm sorry the number of times i've gone home with someone i just met versus made out with someone i just met those two numbers are like very close for me a lot of people it's like oh i'll go to a bar and kiss someone that number's in the ten thousands but i'm I, it's rarely I'll, I'll have sex with someone or some you know i feel like for most people the amount of people they've kissed and the amount of people they've slept with the second is the lower number that is true for me but the numbers are shockingly close i don't know what they are but i imagine they're within like you know 10 percent of each other for me to get there where you're actually kissing a stranger that's that's like very that's for me that's not just a small thing yeah the intention is to smash uh you know it's something it's interesting you bring that up because I too am someone where it's like, if we're smooching, chances are like, I'm, I'm open to it going elsewhere. Uh, I'm not someone who's just like, this is okay. And this is what made yesterday so bizarre for me is that it is not a common occurrence, especially like in the last few years that I'm out in the world. And even though I have a history, a sexual history with both of these people, it's not a common thing for me to be like out and about and somebody kisses me like I'm not the kind of and as much as it has nothing to do with me being sober either it's like even when I was a drinker and I'd be out at bars and things like that it's like if we're making out it's because we're gonna like hook up like in a deeper way I I also am not someone who just like okay I'm gonna go out and like smooch someone tonight I don't like it's just not my I don't know for me if there's the co-mingling of the tongue bacteria there's probably gonna be the co-mingling of the genital bacteria I just mean like if I've accepted the second one, I'm willing to tolerate the first one. If I'm, I've accepted that we're having sex, I'm willing to tolerate tongue bacteria uh, interchange, exchange. I, I don't know. It, bodies are disgusting. I mean, the, you know, bodies are beautiful, sure. but bodies are disgusting. I don't know. Equally, I'm not like, oh, your body's disgusting. Everyone's body's disgusting. So what I'm trying to say is I'm a hopeless romantic. Have I ever, have we ever talked about the fact that I, I feel like we have, that I will not share a spoon with someone, <laughs> even if they are my like fluid bonded, intimate partner. I love this. Go on. <laughs> I will share a fork loosely, like full, like very loosely. If I can avoid it, I will. A spoon? Never. I would sooner my ex-wife and she was like not a fussy eater like she'd eat food off the ground so will i i mean she was not <laughs> she would, wouldn't wash her hands while she was cooking she was not like a neurotic about germs mm -hmm. but she had this funny thing where if anyone ever took a bite of her food a sip of her drink a forkful of her fries whatever without asking her you know 90 percent of the time she would just be like keep it even if she wanted it to make a funny point that like don't touch my stuff, don't share my cutlery, don't. And I just, I always found that so funny that she would, if someone took her food, she would just be like, you have it. Even if it was clear that she wanted it to make that person feel bad. I know you're donating your food 
in the name of making someone feel bad, which is something I loved about my ex, but also you can see why that's a problematic behavior. Yeah, I don't think that was germs oriented. I think that was like pettiness. Yes, petty. I, I like a little a little pettiness is is uh is super helpful. Libra season is also quite petty. It can be petty. It's pettiness season. Have you been up to any pettiness? <sighs> you know, the days are long, so it's hard to it's hard to remember when I'm engaging in pettiness. No, I've been I've been pretty I've been pretty high frequency, although I am extremely and increasingly tempted to live a life of being unhinged um, just for fun. Open to a life of being unhinged. I'm open to that too, but I have no idea what you mean. Yeah. So for me, I've been in recovery from substance abuse for almost a decade. Prior to that, I've been, you know, I've been in therapy for a really long time. I'm, I've cultivated so many emotional intelligence tools and processes. And again, like I try to live at a higher frequency. I try to live in a way that aligns with my values that like I've established through many, many years of reflection and, and whatever relationships and blah, 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 blah. And basically I'm like, well, I'm like still like kind of miserable and I think it would be more fun albeit with more consequences to just like act from all of my like first thoughts and impulses and like be, you know, do you know what I mean? So just like throwing all of my emotional intelligence out the window and just being like, Oh, this was my perception and my first thought of this thing. And I'm going to act from that place and let the chips fall where they may. And that's how I imagine living a life of being unhinged because again, it's like I've been doing this for more than a decade of like really, you know, maturing and growing and healing and all this shit. And I'm like, quite frankly, I am bored. I am annoyed. Other people aren't doing it as much as I need them to. And so I want to try out being like a brat, not just in sex, but in life. Well, you've invested 10 years in growth. I feel like now the payoff, the reward is you can live an unhinged life responsibly-ish. Like you're unlikely to relapse living unhinged, right? Yeah. I mean, there, it's so far out of the question for me today to relapse. So from the, the mindset of the, of the alcoholic, the addict, whatever, if being unhinged means not relapsing, to me, that's a mature way to be unhinged. You're maturely being unhinged. This is so supportive. Like this is the supportive environment and advice that I've been looking for. And you don't have like a firearm permit. So, I mean, what damage could you really do? Just like emotional, which that's happening anyway. Yeah, exactly. Right? And you don't have a car or you do have a car. No, I don't drive. Well, those are very dangerous. I mean, you could just, people don't realize cars are the most dangerous thing that I think most average people have access to. So you don't have a car, you don't have a gun, knives you probably have, but you know. But just like for cooking, not like. Not for, not for attacking or murdering or whatever. Yeah, I, I say be unhinged. You know, you bring up such an interesting point because you know, like when you stop drinking and doing drugs, there's that like, there's like a, if we could call it like recovering addict math where you're like, well, I'm saving all this money by not drinking and using drugs. So you like spend it on other bullshit. And it's like, you know, again, like a decade deep, I'm like, I can't keep doing this, like recovering addict math where it's like, that's no longer a factor. So what I'm hearing from you is that because I don't drive a car, because I don't have, you know, firearms or like other weapons of mass destruction, I've got all of this like credit 10 years of work on yourself too. That's part of the credit. Yeah. So it's like, I'm actually not engaging in a lot of high risk behaviors that everyone else is. 
and that affords me a window of being a dramatic baby. And if I'm honest, I've been trying it out little bit by little bit and my romantic tides have turned. So I just think that there, you know, what I need is someone who like wants to be part of that chaos. The summary of all this, the grand thesis, not connected to my practice uh, or career at all, is that people are attracted to chaos. Mm hmm. Well, think about it. You've got this bank account of being a completely well-adjusted person if you have a lot of money in it and being completely unhinged if, you're, if you owe a balance, if the creditors are looking for you. You spent 10 years investing in this bank account. You're a millionaire when it comes to, you know, self-growth. So take a few withdrawals. When I was popping Xanax and drinking at the same time, when I was recently divorced, when I was having um, depressive and manic episodes and, and having to be in therapy three days a week and unwell mentally, like having serious mental health difficulties that were not in remission, they were the opposite of remission, I, was, I owed a big balance on that account. Like my credit score was pitiful. I could not get a loan. Uh, at that time, if I was engaging in unhinged behavior, that'd be a problem. I might hurt someone. I might hurt me. Now, the bank account, after years of being sober and going to therapy, and, and I'm saying I have a big surplus myself, so maybe I should be a little unhinged too, Samantha. I love this for us. I can't wait till we circle back in like a month. We're at a gun show. <laughs> By zero means, like 0% chance ever, unless I'm protesting it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I um, am vehemently against guns myself. Not a big fan. Not a fan. Other than these guns, he says as he flexes his, mus his muscles that he's never worked on. You talk about the addict mindset, though. The other night I was having a, a particularly bad night of existential dread. I was up until 6 a.m., which I'm actually not worried about because it was the first time that had happened in like four months, which for me, if I'm doing that once every four months, I'm fine. Blast. But I'm thinking, so Miranda, she may or may not have one or two benzos just for whatever, because she's the normal human being who can do benzos. Maybe Xanax, Ativan, Clonopin, who knows what. Valium, maybe leftover from a surgery. Obviously, she hasn't told me whether she has them or not. I think if I were to ask her, she'd say no. But it's 6 a.m. and I'm like, yeah, if I wake her up at 6 a.m. and ask her for Xanax right now and make a case, she'll give me one. And then I'm like, no. <laughs> First of all, I don't want to be doing that. Second of all, she would think I'm like... That like, but the idea that I thought that that was a rational thing to do was funny to me because that's the real like addict mindset where you're you're making these like deals with yourself. I know it's a bit unrelated to the bank account of self growth, but yeah, I just you had mentioned it and I thought about this. Oh yeah, like the the ability to build a case. Yeah, that's it. For use is like we all should have been lawyers. Like it is. <laughs> The level of self-delude that we can go to to justify using behavior is like if we could wield that, yield it, wield that for good, you know. Um, I wonder if there'd be a good sort of 12 step program for alcoholics mixed with law school. You know, you do an hour of, <laughs> of the group session and then you do an hour on the law books. I wonder if that would produce some wonderful lawyers. I don't know. Maybe. Being an addict has... Being a recovered addict has tremendous amounts of transferable skills. I am very, very good at my job. Yeah. <laughs> From years of having and 
and actively, as you said, not in remission, not in recovery mind. Um, I learned how to do a lot of things. I learned a lot of pattern recognition and I learned how to build a very valid case. And yeah, the transferable skills are endless. A skill I got from using a lot was steamrolling people into doing what I want, whether it's to use with me, to give me access to it, to validate the behavior. But a part of recovery and self-growth is I recognize this is a skill that is not to be used. It's a negative skill. I mean, maybe, you know, if you're trying to get a raise at work, steamrolling your boss into doing it, maybe not as bad as, you know, steamrolling a partner to or a friend to loan you money who can't afford to loan you the money. I just mean steamrolling is maybe in certain cases not the worst thing. I don't know if it's ever good. But yeah, the self-growth side of doing that is realizing it's not a skill to be used and catch yourself before you do it. I don't know, but I guess I say this because uh, using drugs and alcohol Definitely, that's a skill you get good at. Manipulation is a cornerstone of active <laughs> active addiction, I think, you know. And if we can practice being unhinged without being manipulative, I think that's a good use of our, our, our saved up currency, where it's like I have enough self-awareness and empathy to not manipulate others. And also I might hold folks hostage with my delusions. <laughs> All right. Unhinged while not manipulating or hurting. And I guess we can end on the note that I'm very aware that this is a desire in me because I've had such a sexually dry year. Right. It's like if I was having as much weird sex as I would like to, I wouldn't have this urge to be unhinged in my day to day life. I would have worked it all out elsewhere. Right. And so, you know, after all my passionate kisses yesterday, I'm like, I have less of a desire. I'm only at like an 18 percent desire to be unhinged today. Samantha, I don't know if we learned anything today. But I learned I like talking to you and I'm glad you're here. Me too. Thank you for having me as always. L'chaim. Oh, isn't it a Jewish holiday this weekend? Is it? Fuck, I gotta call my mom. Jewish holiday, October, fuck. Is it Sukkot? I don't know. I just, oh, wait, no, maybe it just passed. That's the one where you live in a hut. Oh, no, that's in, uh, I don't know when that is. Jesus. Maybe it was last weekend, actually. Yeah, it was last week. No, it's now, the one where you live in a hut. But that's uh, that's not for a secular kind of Jews. That, you're talking about Yom Kippur. That's the big one. It was Yom Kippur, yes. That was a few weeks ago. I forgot to call my mom on that day. Mm. It's all right. I'll atone for it. I'll do it next year. <laughs> okay, let's get the fuck out of here. Bye-bye. <laughs>